Good morning. We want to welcome you here today, and as we begin to prepare our hearts for worship, we're going to sing an, an older song, um, one that you might be familiar with. So as we sing this song to ask God to come into our presence this morning, if you know the words, feel free to join us as we sing.
As promised, I have delivered on the donuts. Yes. I thought you'd be more excited. I can take them back next week. That's fine. I, um, I had to add a little bit to our Sunday morning budget. I don't know if you've seen me chasing two little girls around in the lobby, but the oldest one, is, I think, is why she comes to church is for the donuts. Anyway. Let's go ahead and say good morning, grab a name if you can, and just wish them a, a very happy, blessed Sunday. You can go ahead and uh, have a seat. Great to have you here this day as we gather together and worship in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and Adam, I can't believe your, your go-to for two weeks in a row has been talking about donuts. That is, uh, yeah. And, and I thought about it, you know, I... There's something not right that we bring back the donuts the same week and the Olympics are kicking off, right? There's something that doesn't match. Although, you know, I told the first service, maybe you could buy five donuts and kind of create the Olympic rings and that'll be your event, right? That's uh, one thing we can all qualify for. So it's great to be here and, and really more than talking about donuts, we want to celebrate the Lord. And I love that song, We Want to Draw Closer to God. Wherever you are in your walk with Jesus, whether you are a Christian for decades or you're, you're new in the faith or you're still trying to figure some things out, our prayer for you is that you would take one step closer to God this day and God would do that work in your life by his Holy Spirit. And he does that in all sorts of ways, through the songs we sing, through the prayers we pray, through hearing collectively and individually from his word, and even this act of giving, which again, we view everything we do in our services as worship. So even as the ushers make their way forward, we're going to pray for the offering and just use this time as a time to 
respond to what God is doing in your life, recognizing all that you have, all that you are, is a gift from him. Let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we come into this place hearts filled with faith, hope, and love. And we can express to you that, that our heart is to draw closer to you, and thank you that that is possible because of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who, through his death, through his resurrection, has opened the way that we can know our God, who, not just as creator, not just as judge, but as heavenly Father. We can know Jesus as our Savior, as our shepherd. We can know and experience the Holy Spirit as our guide, as our comforter, as our encourager. Lord, my prayer for everyone here, including myself, is that you would just meet us in the deepest places of our hearts this day. You know what we need. For some of us, it's encouragement. For some of us, it's challenge. Some of us, it's peace. Some of us, it's hope. And so, Lord, may you do that and speak that and pour that into our hearts and lives this day. And that as you do then, we would not hoard it, but we would be channels of just your love and blessing both to one another in this church and then outside the walls of our congregation. And so, God, fill us up, send us out, use us, speak to us this day. And now as we give these gifts, we just do this as an act of love and worship. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.
that flowed down and every drop was a drop of grace. He's overcome the grave. Death is defeated. There is no greater love than to lay down your life for another. And our Creator, our God, sent His only Son so that we would be saved. Amen. Morning, everybody. How are you doing? A couple people are wide awake. That's great. Must be August. <laughs> I'm Sam. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And happy August to everybody. Um, it's officially the best days of summer right now. And I only say that because August was the month that I was born in. So uh, anybody else? August birthdays? Anyone? A few of you? And let's do this. Um, let's uh, narrow it down. Within the week, how many of you had a birthday within this past week? Uh, a few of you, okay, so keep your hands raised, and we're going to find out when your birthday was, okay? So immediately hands go down, no, 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 not me, not me. Um, way, way back there, can you just yell it out? First, awesome, August 1st. Anybody else? We're back there. What? Today? Excellent, happy birthday. Awesome. Right here, August 4th, Okay. The 6th, so yesterday. Um, anybody else? Birthday, you want to cheer? Yesterday. yesterday? Anyone else? Someone over here? Over here? Yes? No? No? Okay. Um, the reason I, I did all that is because today is my birthday. So, yeah. And it's also Pastor Steve Fletcher's birthday today. And it's also Pastor Dan's oldest son, Scott. It's his birthday today, too. So there's quite a few of us who have birthdays today. In the last service, there was someone else who had a birthday today. So here's what I thought. I thought everybody could just sing us happy birthday. That would be a great way to start off. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, a card will do. Um, I'm just messing with you, too. Um, well, we're in this series called Heroes, 
and we have been looking at, the, at different men and women from the pages of Scripture and how they have been heroic. And, and what we've been finding out is this, is that these guys and gals are a lot more like you and me than maybe we had thought at first. You know, they were ordinary people that God just so happened to use in a very extraordinary way. And I think a lot of times what happens when we, we read these stories, from the, like the, especially the Old Testament ones, and they, they sound like too good to be true, all these heroic, like great stories, and we, we get in our minds like this Marvel or DC Comics kind of a thing where, oh, these are great stories. But here's the deal. These people, this is real life events. This is not a story like fairy tale book. This is a real, like the stuff in here really happened, and these are real people living on this planet just like you and just like me that God used to do some extraordinary things. And the good news is is this, is that God can use you and I to do extraordinary things as well. Because he's extraordinary. Not because we're anything, but because he's something. And so today we're going to look at a kid from the pages of Scripture who God used to do something special. So speaking of kids um, doing something special, uh, my family, we just got back from like two weeks of just being on vacation. Um, we decided a couple weeks ago that, actually a couple months ago, we decided that all of our family, myself, my wife, our three kids, um, we're going to go spend three or four days with her side of the family, so her mom, her dad, her brother and his wife and their two kids, and her sister and her husband and their two kids, and we were all going to rent one house together in Sandusky, Ohio, and just spend three or four days together just hanging out. Fifteen people, one house. And I especially loved, and most of the kids, by the way, are like five years old and younger. And so now you're going, oh boy. Um, I especially loved the day when all the moms decided it was time to like leave the house and let the dads be in charge of all the kids. Um, yeah, wrestling matches were breaking out in the middle, and we were like, yes, go. And that was between like the seven-year-old and the baby. But um, anyway, uh, <laughs> it didn't really happen, but it could have. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was a lot of fun. So we, we did that for three or four days, and then once we had enough of each other, we, um, we left, and we were all going to go back to Sarah's parents' house. And so we all caravanned that way. And uh, we stopped in this little place called Vermilion, Ohio. I don't know if you've ever been there before. It's this little like lake town right on right near uh, Lake Erie, and there's all kinds of like cool things to look at. There's boats and all this kind of stuff, and there's restaurants all over the place. And so we decided we're gonna eat lunch. And so guess where we ate lunch? McDonald's, um, <laughs> because they had a play place. And any of you who have little kids, you know that that's you know play place is worth it. And I don't care what we're eating, um, you're gonna go play. And so here we are, we're sitting, we're eating lunch, and uh, my seven-year-old Jonathan starts talking to his papa. Now, I, I realize, I tell stories about my kids all the time, but I very rarely put pictures up and show you who they are. So here's a picture of my family, of, of, of our kids. Um, and if you were here when I taught last time, I talked about the, brit, the little thing, the dock out in Tawas, where we had to take the picture and all that. That's actually from that, that right there. That's that picture that I made them take. So anyway, um, that, the kid on the right is my son Nick. He's almost 10. The girl in the middle, that's Karis. She's, uh, she just turned four at the end of last month. She's our princess. And then there is Jonathan. He's on the, the left-hand side there. He's seven years old. And Jonathan and I are, like, identical. 
we are like, he is my mirror. Like I look at him often and I think of my own childhood and I think, poor child. Um, no, he's a lot of fun. And uh, I, I get him. He looks like me. He acts like I did. Um, he has the same mannerisms I do. I sit on, the, apparently my wife tells me I sit on our couch a certain way and um, he sits on the couch the exact same way. And I'm like, oh, it's like, you know, looking in the mirror. So that's, that's my kid, Jonathan. So he and his papa, and I think he's in the service today too. He's right over there. So wave, Jonathan. Wave to everybody. There he is. Um, he and his papa were having a, a conversation over a filet of fish sandwich, and because that's his new favorite thing. Like, he won't do a Happy Meal anymore. We're like, there's a toy. No, filet of fish. That's what I want. And of course, it's like eight bucks. So, um, <laughs> and it's only going to get more expensive as he gets older. But anyway, um, they're having this conversation over this filet of fish sandwich, and it turns political. My seven-year-old is talking politics with his papa, and he's been, he, over the past like month or so, he's been saying some pretty weird political things to me. Like, uh, like a couple weeks ago, he said to me, he said, Dad, Nick, my older son, Nick told me that when we get a new president, we're going to war with England. I'm like, where, where are you guys picking this stuff up? We don't watch the news. Like, who is telling you this stuff? And he says, I don't want to go to war with England. I'm not very good with a sword. I just have to laugh some. He's just been saying this kind of stuff, and it's just really funny. So back to politics with Papa. He's, he's sitting there talking to him, and he says to my father-in-law, he says, Papa, if I'm president, everybody's getting an iPad. Everybody's getting an iPad. Or like a device that you can play a video game on. You know, and I know what you're thinking. How do we get this kid on the ballot in November? You know, that is a promise I can stand behind for the next four years, you know. It's that kind of a thing. And and yeah, he said that, and he was, he was dead serious, too, about it. You know, that, I think that's what he thinks it means to be the president. And I, I, loved, I loved his heart in it, because I loved how he was going to use all this power for the betterment of other people. We want everybody to have an iPad. I'm going to be the Oprah of presidents. And you get an iPad, and you get it, everybody. And he, we were just out there today, and he was talking about it again. And he was like, I want everybody to have free video games. And the App Store, everything's free. And all the kids' shows are free. And the adult talk shows are thousands of dollars to watch. <laughs> I'm like, that's my kid. So he says this to his papa, and, you know, it's, it's crazy, you know. He wants to, you know, not just himself, he wants the betterment of other people. And, you know, it's kind of like this, this picture, vote for Jonathan, I'll make your wildest dreams come true. You know? <laughs> so here's the deal. My son is mildly addicted to, well, no, he's just addicted to this video game called Minecraft, and maybe some of you know what Minecraft is. You have kids who play it, or maybe you play it, and you like secretly don't want anybody to know about that you play it, but you play it, um, like me. So um, <laughs> he plays this game, and he loves building worlds in it and defending those worlds, because that's what you do in that game. And, and in his mind, because this is why he said this, in his mind, um, you know, if everybody had a device or an iPad, then everybody could be playing this video game and, uh, you know, that would be the best thing in the world, and everybody would be happy because that's the way he is when he plays this video game. And my first thought as I'm listening to him talk to his papa about this, my first thought and the first reaction in my mind is, well, that's why they don't let kids be president because that's what you would do with it. And then I had a second thought, and my second thought was, well, maybe it might be better if they let a seven-year-old be president. I don't know um, the way things are going. But anyway, especially... I thought, you know, maybe it would be good if a kid was president, especially if it was a kid like this. Watch this video. I think we all need pep talk.
stop being boring. Yeah, you. Boring is easy. Everybody can be boring. But you're good at that. Life is not a game, people. Life isn't a cereal either. Well, it is a cereal. And if life is a game, are we all on the same team? I mean, really, right? I'm on your team. Be on my team. This is life, people. You got air coming through your nose. You got heartbeat. That means it's time to do something. A poem. Two roads diverged in the woods, and I took the road west travel. It hurt, man! Really bad. Rocks, forks, and glass? My parts broke. Wah! Not cool, Robert Frost. But what if there were a word too fast? I'll be the one that leads to awesome. It's like that dude Journey said. Don't stop believing. Unless you drink something. Then you should get a better drink. I think that's how it goes. <laughs> get a better drink and keep going. Keep going, keep going, and keep going. What Michael Jordan have quit? Well, he did quit. No, he retired. Yeah, that's he retired. But before that, in high school, what if he quit when he didn't make the team? He would have never made Space Jam. And I made Space Jam. <laughs> what will be your Space Jam? What will you create when we make the world awesome? Nothing if you keep sitting there. That's why I'm talking to you today. This is your time. This is my time. It's our time. We can make every day better for each other. If we're all on the same team, let's start acting like it. We got work to do. We can cry about it, or we can dance about it. We were made to be awesome. Let's get out there. I don't know everything. I'm just a kid. But I do know this. This is everybody's duty to give the world a reason to dance. That kid is awesome. I love watching that. <laughs> and he has like a ton of other videos on YouTube, and I could spend like hours, uh, or maybe I did spend hours watching <laughs> all of that. I love that. And, you know, but in my mind, as I'm putting all this together, I'm watching this video and everything, it, it, it immediately ran back to what I thought when my son, Jonathan, said he wanted to be president and what he wanted to do with that. And I, I, I couldn't believe that I immediately discounted him because of his age. Like, well, that's what happens when you let young people do that stuff or little kids do that. And I started asking myself, why did I do that? And I think it's a question we all need to ask ourselves about generations that come behind us, because I think a lot of us do that. We, why do we often discount somebody because of their age? I think it actually happens a lot. We say things like, well, you know, they're just naive. Wait until they grow up a little more, get a little more experience under their belt. Then they'll get it. Then they'll understand what I understand. They'll understand how the world really works. We say these kind of things, or we, maybe we don't say them, but we think them about the next generation. And every generation thinks that about the next generation that's coming up. But the truth of the matter is this. It's that the Bible teaches us a very different reality about children and young people. The Bible shows us over and over again the immense value that a young person possesses. The immense value that they possess. Over and over again, the Bible portrays heroes to us when they are children or when they are teenagers and how they overcame adult-sized 
difficulties. They're presented with these adult dilemmas when they're teenagers or kids, and they overcome them. And we see that over and over and over again in Scripture. In fact, Jesus himself said this. He said, unless you become like one of these little children, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. The Bible values young people. It values the next generation. In fact, the story we're going to look at this morning is about an eight-year-old boy, just one year older than my son Jonathan, who became king of Israel at eight years old. And in his 20s, he did something that changed Israel's history forever, or at least when he was king. He was a kid king. Eight year, can you just imagine that? I can't even imagine it. Eight years old, became king. His name was Josiah, and his story is found in 2 Kings 22. So if you've got a Bible, open that up, 2 Kings chapter 22. If you have a smart device, an iPhone, an iPad Jonathan gave you, um, <laughs> Well, you can look at the Bible app. You can look, uh, look that up. That's a lot faster than even looking through the old school Bible. Or you can look at our Hopeville app. Uh, click on the little thing that says Bible on the top left-hand corner. That'll take you right to the sermon notes. You'll be able to read along. 2 Kings 22 is where we're going to be. It's like in the first third of the, uh, the Bible. Let me give you a little setup to this story, okay? So years, Josiah's story takes place years after David is actually king of Israel. David's the king of Israel. He has a son named Solomon. And Solomon becomes the wisest king Israel's ever seen. And then Solomon has a son named Rehoboam, and he becomes king, and he screws some stuff up. And another guy named Jeroboam comes in, and they split the kingdom in half. So Jeroboam becomes a king, and, and Rehoboam's a king, and they're both bad kings, and things just go really bad from there. And the, there's more kings that come after that. There's only a handful of kings on either side that are actually, the Bible actually says are good kings that followed God. Most of the kings that you'll read about the Bible says that they're evil, they're wicked, they're idol worshipers. They, they make the nation of Israel become something that God never intended them to become. And they start worshiping false gods and, and all this stuff. And so here's Josiah, and he's in this line of very terrible kings. In fact, if you read a little bit about his history, his grandpa Manasseh was a terrible king. He was a wicked king, set up idols all over the place in the temple, did some really bad stuff there. Then his dad becomes king, his dad Ammon becomes king at the age of 22. And he's only king for two years. He's, a, he's such a wicked king that he gets assassinated at 24 years old. And so here's this poor boy, Josiah. He's eight years old. His dad has just been assassinated. And now the people are like, okay, I guess you're king. So he's sitting there. I can just imagine him going and sitting on the throne. His, his whole family is in turmoil. Ever this has all been bad. All he has is negative experience to draw from, and he's like, I don't know how to be king. I guess this is what I'm supposed to do to be king, just kind of follow what they're doing. So he sits there on the throne, and he's like, okay, I'm eight. And so the advisors are probably trying to be like, just follow the playbook. <laughs> just do what dad did. Just do what grandpa did. Just do what everybody did, because that's the culture he grew up in. So he's eight years old. That's where we're going to pick up this story. 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 1. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. So he, he was 39 when he wasn't king anymore. His mother's name was Jedidah. This, there's going to be some pretty crazy names here, so hang on. Daughter of Adiah, she was from Bozkath. He did, Josiah did, look at this, what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. 
In the 18th year of his reign, so if you do the math, he's 26 years old at this time. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary, Shaphan, son of Azalea, the son of Meshulam, to the temple of the Lord. He said, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him get ready the money that's been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Have them entrust it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple, and have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, like the, the carpenters, the builders, the masons. Also have them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple. But they need not account for the money entrusted to them because they are honest in their dealings. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, look at this, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. I found the book of the law and he gave it to Shaphan who read it. Now this is significant because the book of the law is actually the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It was what the nation of Israel was supposed to have as the laws that God gave them, the stuff that Moses wrote, and there were scrolls that they were supposed to use as a guide for how they were supposed to live as a nation. And here's this high priest going, we found it, which means they hadn't, they hadn't seen it for like years and years and years, it was collecting dust somewhere in the temple, and they couldn't find it. So it, it had not been looked at, it had not been read, and it had not been followed for years. And Hilkiah says, we found it, and he read it. So look what happens. Then Shaphan the secretary went to the king and reported to him, your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors in the temple. Then Shaphan the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He tore his robes, maybe out of anger, out of shame, out of I can't believe that this is what we haven't been doing. He gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest. Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Akbar, son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Isaiah, the, king, the king's attendant, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all of Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us, including my father, including the, my grandfather, have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Asiah went to speak to the prophet Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, the son of Haras, keeper of the wardrobe. Sounds like something from Harry Potter. Anyway, <laughs> she lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter. She said to them this, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this place and his people, according to everything written in the book the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me, and they have burned incense to other gods, and aroused my anger by all the idols that their hands have made. My anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. And then she's going to speak directly to Josiah, the, the, before this has all been about the nation of Israel because of what they've done, because of what guys like Josiah's grandpa and, and his father did as king. 
and, and the way that Israel reacted. But then she speaks directly to Josiah. This is what God says to you, Josiah. Verse 19, let's put this up on the screen. Because your heart was responsive, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they, would come, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors, and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all of the disaster I'm going to bring on this place. Josiah, as long as you are king, the people of Israel will not see this because you've done the right thing. You've allowed the book of the law to influence how you live your life and how you govern the people. And because, I love those words, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself. Josiah, you're not going to see it in your, your lifetime. Well, you're king. As long as you're king, the people of Israel are going the right way. And so they took her answer back to the king. So Josiah hears all of this, and how does he respond? This is what he says and what he does. Chapter 23, verse 1. It says, Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. And he read in their hearing all of the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and he renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all of his heart and all of his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. Josiah stands up. He's all of 26 years old. And he stands up in front of a group of people who are probably well older than he is. And he says, guys, we've been missing it for years and years and years. We've been missing it. Let me read you this book that God has given us. And he reads the whole thing to them. Talk about a long church service. <laughs> he read the whole thing to them. And he, at the end, he's like, guys, <laughs> what have we been doing? This is what God has given to us. This is what God wants from us. We've been doing everything else but this. We need to get back to this. And he renews the covenant with God that Israel made with God a long time ago. And he says, that's the way I'm going to live. With all of my heart and all of my soul, that's the way I'm going to lead and that's the way I'm going to live. And the people say, us too. That's what we want. We got to get back to this. And I love that about Josiah. That even though he was the eight-year-old kid who became king, that at 26 years old, he made a decision to say, you know what, I know this has been our past and this is what we've been doing. This is what tradition has kind of said to us over these past few years. But let's just forget all of that because that's not what God wants. God wants our nation to do this because this is what he's told us in this book. And then this is said about it. So, after all this, what happens is he goes, here's what we're going to do, guys. We're just going to wipe out all of the idols that all these other kings and all these foreign countries have brought in. And they start doing it. They wipe out all the idols. They, they take, and take all, care of all of the priests that are worshiping false gods. 
It even says that he goes in and he wipes out the idols of his grandfather, Manasseh, the ones that he set up. He wipes them all out. The stuff that his father set up, he wipes all of that out. In fact, it goes so far to say that he takes care of and wipes out even the idols that started all this mess in the first place from Jeroboam. Like it says it in a very intentional way that he wiped that out. We're doing things differently now. It's not about this anymore. It's about this. And he takes care of all of that. And then it goes on to say this. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. I just want to read it. And I want you to listen to what happens here. Verse 21, it says, The king gave this order then to all the people. Celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in this book of the covenant. They had not, as a nation, celebrated the Passover in years. In years. And the Passover was the feast that they got together to remember the time when the, the Israelites were in Egypt and the plagues were happening, and the 10th plague happened, and God said, put the blood of a lamb over your doorpost because the death angel is coming. And, it, and any door that had the blood over it, the death angel passed over because the, the blood of a spotless, perfect lamb was shed and covered that house, a beautiful picture of Jesus that was to come. And so the Israelites celebrated that, that God would do that for them and rescue them in that way by eating this Passover meal. And they hadn't done that as a nation in years and years and years. And Josiah says, we're doing that. <laughs> we're going to celebrate God's rescue. We're going to celebrate who God is. And we're going to follow God with everything that we have because we found the book of the law. <laughs> and we found his word to us. And we're going to follow that. And look what else it says. Verse 22, neither in the days of the judges who led Israel decades before, nor in the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah had any such Passover been observed. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem. Basically saying that there had probably been Passover celebrated, but not the way that the Bible has described it to be celebrated. Not even King David or Solomon celebrated it like this, and yet Josiah went back all the way to the beginning. We're going to do it exactly by the book, exactly the way God told us to do it. And here he is like this 26-year-old, like a kid for all intents and purposes, standing in front of everybody saying, we're going back to the way God wants it, the way God designed it. That's what we need to do. And God blessed him, and he blessed the nation of Israel because of it. And I think what this story teaches us is that a hero isn't defined by their age. A hero is not defined by their age, but they're defined by how they make a difference with their actions. A hero is not defined by their age. You can look at this eight-year-old boy sitting on the throne and go, no way. But a hero isn't defined by their age. They're defined by the difference that they make with their actions. Josiah didn't let his age or the fact that the people he was leading are well older than him determine how he was, what he was going to do. He let his faith in God, and he let God's book of the law determine how he was going to live his life and how he was going to govern and what he was going to do. You know, and it could have been really easy for Josiah. He could have just said, you know what? 
I'm just going to follow the playbook. I'm just going to keep doing what dad did. I'm going to keep doing what grandpa did and what kings before them did. I'm not going to stir things up. I'm not going to shake things up. Keep the status quo. You know, we're just going to do that because that's easier. He could have chosen that. No, he could have bent and given in to the peer pressure of the advisors around him or the people out there who, who were pretty comfortable with the way they were living. He could have just done that. But instead, he chose to follow God's word. And he set Israel back on a path toward God for the time he was king. A hero isn't defined by their age, but how they make a difference with their actions. So here's the question. What does the story of Josiah mean to us, mean to you and to me? How can we use this inspirational story of this kid, this teenager, this 20-something king to live out our own heroic story in 2016? Well, I think there are three big points of application for us. And it's this. Number one, allow God to determine your actions. Allow God to determine your actions. Allow God to determine how you live. Don't allow tradition to determine how you're going to live or your actions. I mean, Josiah could have just allowed the tradition of his father and his grandfather to do that, but he didn't. He said, no, 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 <laughs> we got to get back to this. This is what's most important. Allowing God to determine how we live, not our traditions. He could have allowed, you know, the, uh, the, what's universally accepted to determine how he was going to live. Well, everybody, this is what everybody believes. This is what everybody thinks. So that's just how we're going to do it. He said, no, 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 we're going back to this. And you know, the people in his day could have been like, Josiah, that book, it's so old. Like, it's, it's so antiquated. I mean, that was written thousands of years ago. How can you still believe that? How can you still use that today? That, we're, we've progressed so far away from that now. I mean, our culture is so different than when that was written. How could you still believe that? And he said, no, 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 I'm not going to allow that to determine how I'm going to live. I'm going to allow God to determine how I'm going to live my life. And I'm going to allow this book to determine what's right and what's wrong for us and what God says. And he, he didn't even allow how he felt <laughs> to determine that. He allowed God to determine his actions. That's what we need to do. As we look at the life of Josiah, we need to allow God to determine our actions and what he says and what he's written to us in this book. Allow that to shape us and mold us in how we live. Number two, don't count someone out because they're younger. Don't count someone out. And I would, maybe I preface it say it this way. Don't count someone out because of their age. Because I don't, I don't think the younger thing is a part of the story. But I also think you guys who are younger, don't count someone out because they're older. Because it's not about age. It's not. I think, I think it's this way for every generation. Every generation looks at the generation that's ahead of them and says they're lame. And looks at the generation that's behind them and says they're naive and that we've got it figured out. Okay, every generation thinks that about the, the previous generation and the future generation. And what I would say to you is this, don't count somebody out because of their age. Don't count somebody out because they're older than you. Don't count somebody out because they're younger than you, because it's not about that. And as the next generation pastor here at Hopevale, I would especially say to you guys, don't count somebody out because they're young, because they're little, because they're a kid or a teenager. 
God can do immensely huge things through those people. He's chosen to do it in the past, and he's doing it right now as we speak. God is using kids. God is using teenagers. God's using 20-somethings to affect change in this world for him. And it's an amazing thing, to affect change in this church. So don't count somebody out because of their age. And then number three, and I just want to speak to the, the, the people who are younger in the audience for a little bit, okay? If you are younger, and I, <coughs> I would say like 25 or younger than that, okay? So I'm just talking to you guys for a second. If you are younger, don't wait until you grow up to make a difference. Don't wait until you're old enough to make a difference. One of the things I absolutely love about being a student ministry pastor here, a next-gen pastor, is getting to work with our student ministries of middle school and high school students. But one of the things I love about that is that we have so many college-age kids who get this, who, you know, could have said, well, I'll just wait till I become an adult and grow up, and then I'll serve, and then I'll do something. They were like, no, 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 I'm just going to serve now because that's what God is calling me to do, and I want to make a difference now. And we have many college-age people serving and making a difference and making an impact in the lives of your middle schoolers and your high schoolers every week. They're pointing them to Jesus, and I love that because they didn't wait to try to make a difference. They said, no, no, God has called me to make a difference right now even though I'm young. And we have tons of middle schoolers and high schoolers even who are making a difference as we are talking right now back in our tot town in Kid City area because they decided, you know what? God is calling me as a middle school and high school kid to make a difference right now and they're making a difference in the life of your kids if they're back there because they chose to make a difference not based on their age or when they finally become an adult but because God is calling to make a difference right now. It's not about your age. It's about the difference that you can make with your actions right now immediately. So if you are younger here and you're kind of just hanging on and waiting until you get older to do something, don't. Do it right now. Make a difference right now. God is calling you to make a difference right now in your church and in our world. God wants you to do something big. And he wants you to use the influence that you have to point people to Jesus. So don't wait to do that. Live out, practically live out 1 Timothy 4.12, which says this. It says, don't let someone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in word, in faith, in deed, in your conduct, and all of that. Set an example. And right now, there are some middle school and high school kids and college kids back in Tottown and Kid City who are doing exactly that. They're setting an example because they have chosen to make a difference right now no matter what their age is. You don't have to be old enough to make a difference here in our church or in our world. God can use a three-year-old. God can use a 13-year-old. God can use a 30-year-old. God can use a 70-year-old. One of the things that I absolutely love about Hopevale is the fact that we are a multi-generational church. I love seeing on any given Sunday a teenager, an adult, and an older adult serving side by side back there in Tottown or Kid City. Or I love watching a row of students worshiping right in front of a row of older adults and they're worshiping the same God with the same love and same intensity. It's a beautiful picture of the church. 
It is. It's an amazing picture. It speaks well of our church continuing the legacy of Jesus Christ from generation to generation. And I pray that we will always value that as a church. That we will always value what the next generation can do and what the previous generation has done before us here at Hopevale and in our community. And I, I just, I love that about our church. A hero is not defined by our age, but how they make a difference with their actions. And my prayer for us as Hopevale is that Hopevale wouldn't be defined by our age, but it would be defined by what we do and the difference we make by the actions because we're following Jesus. That's what my prayer is for us. And so I would just end with this. Let's go be like Josiah, no matter how old we are, and make a difference in our world. Let's pray together. God, we we love you. We thank you for the story of Josiah. We thank you that you you chose an eight-year-old boy to become king. And that when he was king for a little while in his 20s, that he made a decision that would shape the nation of Israel for the next few years. And that he was able to help them turn back to you, not because of anything he could do, but because he wanted to follow you. And because he wanted to follow your word. And I pray that we would be people who would do the same. Who would allow you to determine how we want to live. And it wouldn't be based on how old we are, if we're old enough. And we wouldn't look down on people because they're older or younger. But we would say, you know what? It's based on following you. So God, I pray that we would make a difference in our church and our world right now because of who you are and what you've said in your word and because we want to follow that. Help us to be a church like that. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand as we respond in song? Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard a tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never Perfect.
song to sing about God. You're perfect in all your ways, and we thank you for being a good father. You love us, and we want to live to please you and to love you and to show other people who you are. And so let's be a church that isn't defined by our age, but defined how we live for God. Amen? Amen. Let's go out and do that. Thank you for being here today. Uh, Hold on. Before we go, There won't be lyrics on the screens, but I think we know it. <laughs> and we have a key. Holy cow. Happy birthday <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being here.